Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The New England Revolution have been cupset, cupset by the Pittsburgh Riverhounds of the USL Championship. It is their third loss to a USL Championship side in the U.S. Open Cup since 2015. Not the result the Revolution were looking for. Not a great performance in front of the very small home crowd at Gillette Stadium on Tuesday night. And we're here to talk about it. I'm Greg Johnstone. I was going to be joined by Sam Minton today, uh, but he was recording from his car. And obviously there's always audio issues when Sam Minton is recording from his car. So I now have the pleasure and privilege of re-recording the podcast that I just did. So you can uh, imagine how enthusiastic and happy I am. And uh, what better way to to do that than by talking about uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds New England Revolution game all over again. I get to relive this game again uh, the day after. So very excited about that. This is going to be a bit of a shorter podcast today anyway. Uh, we have an interview with Jake Zivin at the end. Sam is going to talk to Jake about the Inter-Miami New England Revolution game later this weekend. So stick around for that. But I will do a quick mailbag. Uh, and uh, what better way to start? Oh, and by the way, this mailbag, I don't have a key takeaway, so this mailbag today is brought to you by the Any Rebellion. Sorry, The Rebellion. You can go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about The Rebellion. And also, while you're there, make sure you check out their uh, kits for this year's Supporters Cup game. Uh, that's going to be at Gillette Stadium uh, at the Fieldhouse on July 29th at 1 p.m. Their kits are now available for pre-sale. Not sure if the Midnight Riders are available for pre-sale, uh, but you can go to anyrebellion.org and check out The Rebellion's kits uh, for the 2023 Supporters game right now. So this mailbag, a lot of people want to talk about. Josie Altador. Uh, it seems like whenever Josie Altador is in the game, it seems like we have a lot of questions about Josie Altador and his ineffectiveness. Uh, and we'll lead off here with James. He says, is it worth buying out Josie? Should we do it already? Uh, what value does he bring after one and a half years? At what point is Altador considered up to fitness? His foot mob rating has been declining every year since 2019 and has, has worse ratings every single year on the team by a decent amount, has the worst rating on the team by a decent amount. Um, another bad performance from Josie. Um, he seems really out of sync. Uh, Bruce Arena made some interesting comments last night that, you know, he's very exhausted towards the end of the game and Josie had to kind of suck it up. Uh, he had to kind of go the distance and it seems like they're still said something to the effect of they're working up his fitness, uh, which we've really heard throughout his entire tenure with the revs, which is kind of crazy since we're more than a year in. Um, it's not very encouraging. Um, his performances really aren't very encouraging. I think his night is highlighted by that strike that goes way over the bar. He skies really a, a perfect opportunity uh, um, way over the bar and, and into the Gillette Stadium tunnel. Um, I'm not sure what more he could ask for. Um, he's not quick. His hold-up play is subpar. His turnover was uh, ended up leading to the uh, Riverhounds goal yesterday. Um, he, he doesn't seem to connect well with teammates. Um, fitness is poor. And then he finally gets a chance directly on goal, uh, and he, he completely miffs it way over the bar. Um, so uh, 
he's got to be the worst player on the team. He's got to be at the bottom of the depth chart. I know they're trying out Justin Reddick as a winger, as a midfielder. They're moving him around. I'd rather have Reddick up top. Um, I, I, he's really not adding much to the field. And, and if he's not hurt, I don't know what's holding him back at this stage. Um, I, I guess he's always constantly injured and he's always working up fitness. And that's kind of what's said, but it's been a year. Um, I'm not really sure when we're ever going to get anything out of this guy. In terms of buying him out, that's a loaded question. And I'm going to lo- go to the next comment here from three go three slow, three Gonzalez. Great name, by the way. Uh, he says, talk, thinking about your contract talk on the last podcast, isn't Josie becoming a designated player next season since Toronto will no longer be pa- paying part of his salary. Bo's contract expiring won't open up a designated player spot without a buyout. And there's a lot of confusion right now about Josie Altidore and what we're paying him. Um, let's kind of go at the beginning when the revolution signed Josie Altidore. There was a very odd agreement, kind of a weird one-time agreement between TFC and the New England Revolution. I believe it was technically a trade. He was a designated player for TFC. Then the Revs quote-unquote signed him, uh, but TFC still had a commitment to pay Josie Altidore. So as part of his contract, TFC is paying a portion of year one and a portion of year two of Josie Altidore's contract. Now, a lot of people saw the MLSPA salary figures from last year, which said that Josie Altidore is being paid $4.2 million in year one. And they're saying, wow, he's making $4.2 million a year. So he's making four, you know, so we're going to be paying him $4.2 million next year. That's not exactly how it works because Josie Altidore is not a designated player as as three throw three three slow three Gonzalez is pointing out you know wouldn't he be a designated player if you're paying him 4.2 million dollars yes yes you would Uh, any any player that makes more than 1.65 around there 1.65 million dollars is a designated player and Josie Altidore is a max tam player so essentially what's happened here is that 4.2 million dollars is what Josie Altidore made in 2022 not necessarily 2023 and not 2024 so uh, unraveling this back a little bit further, here's what we know about his contract. Jeff Carlisle reported at the time of the signing that Josie Altador has signed a $5 million over three-year contract. Now, does that mean Josie is making $4.2 million in 2022 and then 400000 in 2023 and 400000 in, in 2024 or something like that? Is he making 800000 over the next two years? Possibly, but we, we don't know how that $5 million is distributed. Is that $4.2 million that, that is on the MLSPA figure? Does that include some of TFC's buyout money? Uh, and is, is that buyout money included in this $5 million figure that Jeff Carlisle is reporting? We don't know. So maybe it's 4.2 in 2022 and a million in 2023 and a million in 2024. We, we don't know. Um, it, it, there's also an ESPN report here at the time of the signing uh, that said, uh, nope, hang on, I lost it. I lost it. Uh, TFC will be paying Josie Altidore $4.5 million to get rid of their financial obligation uh, to Josie Altidore. So that $4.2 million, was that 100% TFC? Uh, was that 50%? You know, how, how much of that $4.2 million was TFC? Uh, and how much of that is this $4.5 million they're paying them? We, we don't know. But in some way, in some shape or form, uh, Josie Altidore's contract is $5 million over three years. Maybe 4.2 million of it was paid last year. You assume a good chunk was paid in year one, but regardless, he's not going to be making that next year. The Revs aren't going to be paying him $4.2 million next year, uh, but they will be responsible for 100% of his contract. And whether or not that's 400,000 or 200,000 or $1 million, I can't imagine the Revs see that as a good contract. So if the amount of money next year is absorbent, and I'd say anything above four or five hundred thousand dollars, you have to think he's getting bought out in the offseason. Why the Revs don't buy him out now? The Revs can buy out a player until midseason. That's a new real rule for MLS. They could buy out a player midseason. 
and it won't count against the salary cap. But what I wonder is TFC is still paying a portion of Josie Altador's contract. If the Revs buy him out, does TFC get that cap relief too? So maybe the Revs aren't really having paying too much of his salary this year. Maybe TFC is paying more, and maybe they see this as more of a detriment to TFC than it is for the Revs. I don't know. Either way, I'm not expecting Josie Altador to be bought out right now. I think if they were going to buy him out, it would have been in the offseason after he went on loan. It seemed like that bridge was pretty burnt, and he's come back, and he's said the right things. He's accepted that he's got a limited role now. He's accepted that he has to be kind of a leader for the younger players, but on the field, he's really not working out. So I imagine what's going to happen here is he's going to stay on, stay with the Revs for the remainder of this season, and then in this offseason, if his salary is too high, the Revs have to cut a check and just move on because um, this is really not working out, and this has got to be... Uh, arguably the worst contract in New England Revolution history. Uh, Ronnie Small says, what are the viable options to move on from Josie and his contract as soon as possible? I think what you could do is you could loan him like you did last year, especially if your your salary commitments are not that high to Josie. Again, we don't know what that is. That information is not publicly available. If it's very high, you have to eat some money and send him out somewhere if you're trying to get him off the roster right away. But he doesn't take an, up an international roster spot. Who knows how much salary cap he's taking? Again, if, if we're talking about you know a million dollars, the Revs are paying him a million of his of a $1.6 million salary or something like that, you really have to push them off the roster. But if they're paying 200000 of a $400,000 salary or something to that effect, um, it's a different conversation. We don't know all these numbers. It's very complicated. It's very stupid. Major League Soccer rules are stupid. Uh, so, But I think a lot of the context is lacking, and that's why Josie Altador is still on this team. Hans says, time to hand off Altador to Kansas City or Charlotte. He is not adding any value to this team. I'd even be okay with paying his salary to move him to another team. And I think that's, at this stage, that's what would have to happen to get him off the roster because I don't think they're using the mid-season buyout on him. If there is one person they could use it on, I would say it's him. But for whatever reason, it seems like Josie Altador is staying in New England. Uh, Ava says, if we took Josie off at half, who would have replaced him? And do we think we would have scored? I, I think Charlotte Seal, I mean, if we were going for the win... Carlos Seal would have come on. Uh, certainly the team really lacked the ability to possess the ball, to move into the final third, to be dangerous, to work the ball into the box. A lot of turnovers, a lot of sloppy hold-up play. It seemed like that midfield really did not connect. Jack P really didn't connect at all. It felt like felt like we were playing the ball back a lot. Um, just a really, really messy game. Um, and I think they ended up with 61% possession. That was kind of surprising. It just seemed like there was a lot of weird turnovers in the midfield. They need Carlos Hill out there to run point. Uh, they need him to really make things happen and, and open up runs. Um, I, I think Carlos Hill, uh, if we were going for the win, uh, we could have put him in there. But even if not, even if Josie was just, you know, we wanted to take him off and they wanted to save Carlos Hill or if he was unavailable, what I, I think would have been a better fit is Justin Rennox was playing on the right wing. He did okay. I think you could have put him up at striker. I think he would have brought some energy. Uh, he would have pressed pretty decently. I would have liked to have seen Bulma play right midfield because I think he's got some decent ability to move up the wing. Um, he's got some speed, it seems like, but they've moved him back into right back where he's very raw. Defensively, he's still got a ways to go. That goal, it seemed like he just kind of misplayed it or mistimed it. Um, I know a lot of people are blaming Omar Gonzalez. I think Bulma looks like it seems like he, he failed at clearing that ball, which, you know, that's a bit of a rookie mistake there. So... I would have liked to have seen Bulma maybe move up and play right midfield. Obviously, the Revs are trying to develop him as an outside back because there's no depth there. Uh, and then I would have brought in Brandon Bai uh, as, a, as a defender because I, I think he had a pretty decent game uh, once he came into this game. 
uh, and, and added an element down on that right wing. So I think Rennix was okay as a right midfielder. I think Bolmo was not that great as a right back. So I would have kind of shifted people around and, and got three players into kind of somewhere where they're better. Um, Andy says, I expect a lot of anti-Josie sentiment. You, yeah, correct. Uh, but I'm interested to hear what you guys thought of Christian McCoon. Didn't look particularly good at either center back or left back. I particularly do not like him at left back. I don't think he's quick enough to be a left back. Um, he, he had some pretty poor touches on this game. Um, center back, I thought he was okay. Um, I'm, I'm still not in love with Christian McCoon. Um, nothing in my notes here really show him having a, a horrible game. Uh, maybe I'm missing a mistake here. I was putting a baby to sleep uh, as this game was on. So maybe I missed a, a McCoon error. I, I thought he was okay. He's a depth piece for me. Um, this is going to be probably a terrible comparison that people get mad about, but it, it reminds me a little bit of the Tommy McNamara discourse where a lot of people say he's the worst player ever. Oh, he's terrible. And some people say, hey, he's fine, whatever. But then you ask him, well, you know, was there a role in the team? And, and kind of both sides of uh, the Tommy McNamara debate kind of say, Oh, he's a good depth piece. That's kind of where I am with Christian McCoon. I feel like there's a lot of differing opinions on McCoon of, oh, he's terrible or oh, he's a decent piece. Uh, but I think everyone kind of agrees he's he's a backup at this point. And his value to this team is affordable contract, can play multiple positions okay, but not great. Um, that, that's McCoon to me. He's an okay center back. I thought he had a fine game, um, but I don't want him at left back. Um, I'd rather have Ben Sweat at left back. Uh, I, I really do not want McCoon at left back at all. I, I don't think he's fast enough for that position. Uh, and I, I, I yeah. He's an okay center back. Depth center back. Uh, Brian Flaherty, why does Bruce not care about this tournament? Great question. He cares a little bit. Brought in Carlos Hill, brought in Dave Romney. Um, he did bring in some players that were going to change the game, and similar to how he did against Hartford. Um, but he doesn't care enough about this tournament, which is a shame. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of the sentiment across the league. Uh, I mean, Don Garber came out uh, and kind of trashed the US Open Cup last week. So... I don't know. I wish he did care more about it. Um, I, I think the U.S. Open Cup is good, but let's be honest, it's a supplemental tournament. It's the least important of the trophies uh, available to Major League Soccer teams. Um, the prize money is really not there. If a CCL bid wasn't attached to this, I don't even think you'd see, you might just see reserve teams uh, playing in these games. Um, not yet, just I think this is just something that has gotten less and less important over time. Uh, and with more and more games with the league's cup coming out with MLS, uh, you know, expanding their schedule uh, compared to when Bruce was in the league, uh, you know, with longer and longer seasons, I think these just games have just become less and less important and kind of are, you know, it's more about conserving minutes uh, for your best players like Carlos Steele. So uh, what now really says stink, stank, stunk. This was embarrassing even more so because it was at home. Best make the needed changes and put this stuff behind us. Uh, put this behind us immediately. Guys will be more rested for Major League Soccer games and need to show their stuff. Also, $23 was a ridiculous price for this game. These should be far more accessible to all. Agree. And there's also a rant here that everyone knows, not just from me, but from everyone everywhere, uh, that uh, putting these at Gillette Stadium is kind of criminal. Uh, I really like the Harvard PC uh, smaller venue games. Uh, I think these games are really exciting for USL teams because these are really important games for the USL sides. Uh, but uh, Gillette Sta an empty Gillette Stadium where I think Revs fans really don't find it worth it to make the trek down there. Even if you paid people to come to these games, I don't know if you'd get an average attendance uh, for a Revs game. So uh, yeah, uh, wish it was a little more accessible uh, to most fans. Petrovic number one fan. Could this have been our only chance to win a trophy this year? I wouldn't say our only chance, probably our best chance. I think probably our best chance with the Barrero injury now too, especially supporter shield, I think is a big question mark. Can you 
can you go all year and hold on to that number one spot without Dylan Barrero? I'm not sure, so sure. There's a lot of question marks up at the top of the roster right now, and it's it's very questionable. They're already missing so many starters due to injuries. Um, it'd be really tough to do this over a span of multiple months. MLS Cup, going to be really, really hard to get past Whoever comes out of the West, probably LAFC. That's going to be a really, really tough game uh, to win. Um, Leagues Cup, I'm not really sure what to expect from that. Apparently, there's some prize money tied in. I think I read somewhere that a lot of good good prizes are uh, involved in that one, so MLS teams might be incentivized to play their starters. Um, but even if the Revs won Leagues Cup, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not expecting Bruce to um, put the full force into league's cup. I think we might be in a managing minutes scenario, similar as we are right now due to all the injuries, the revolution have. So I'd probably say this is the best chance the refs have, but right now they're number one in the standings overall. So you got to say they have a chance at the supporters, uh, supporters shield. Um, Traeger says saying this tourney doesn't matter is a pathetic excuse. There's a champions league spot on the line and silverware, the effort strategy and substitutions, including how late the subs were and leaving Josie Altador on were inexcusable. How does anyone expect this team to be taken seriously if they don't try to win every cup? Uh, and that's a good point. Again, I think the revs are in a bit of an interesting scenario due to all these injuries due to having so many young players that you need to kind of get some minutes for. So I understand why you're playing Josh Bulma at right back, why you're playing uh, Jack P in the midfield. I understand why you're getting Josie out, Josie out there to see uh, what he has. And if you can go 90 minutes, I understand that. Uh, But yeah, it's unfortunate that you can't get past a, you know, USL side And, and in two games too, I mean, I think we can question the depth on this team. There's been two games, Hartford and Pittsburgh. Both times you need to bring in Carlos Hill. Both times you need to bring in Dave Romney. And this one's a little less excusable than the Hartford game because Pittsburgh's a much better team than, than Hartford. Uh, Jake Katniss of the Blazing Musket had a really good preview. Uh, of his, his Know Thy Enemy pieces, by the way, probably should be giving them a read every week, but I didn't know a ton about Pittsburgh. Very solid defense. Bob Lilly, former Rochester Rhinos head coach. He's won two USL Cups. Great coach. Wins pretty much wherever he goes. He's in the USL Hall of Fame. Um, Pittsburgh's a very strong USL side. So I don't think this is a shock to too, too many people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really not a good sign that th- these backups can't get the job done against Pittsburgh. And truth be told, I thought until Carlos Hill and the starters came on, easily, easily, Pittsburgh was the better team on the night. And by the way, Latif Blessing. Latif Blessing should have gotten a red card. No questions about that at all. Latif Blessing probably should have been red carded. Um, And it's also worth pointing out, you know, now now I'm on my soapbox here. You had a designated player striker. You had a TAM player in Latif Blessing who should be a starter, um, or at least he is a starter. He is a starter. What am I saying? Um, Josie Altador is a max TAM player. Um, Christian McCoon is getting call-ups for for Venezuela. Um, Omar Gonzalez is highly paid as a defender. Um, You know, you can point around the field at players that are making a good amount of money or are in the starting lineup, uh, and he's still didn't put together a, a decent game at all. He played a pretty poor game overall. So um, not not really pleased with that performance uh, from the Rebs. Um, over there says, are Renix and Rivera ever going to develop into MLS caliber players? I'd say the time is running out. I actually thought Rivera had a pretty decent game. A lot of people were trashing Rivera. A lot of people thought he had a pretty poor game. He had a really, really nice move. 32nd minute, he got past his man, really exploited the left wing, crossed the ball actually for Justin Rennix, uh, but it was uh, defended and cleared out. So um, he had some decent touches. He had some decent looks. I I thought his open cup 
couple of games were actually pretty decent, but I think I'm in the minority opinion there. Um, I think for a bit player, for a depth guy to kind of play either centrally or on the wing, Rivera can kind of fill that role. Is he ever going to be an MLS starter? I, I don't think so. Um, his contract was actually signed pre-2020. We don't know the terms of his contract, but we do know he had an option year last year. So his guaranteed contract is up uh, for the Revs. Same with Renix. He actually signed his contract pre-2029. He's actually had option years the past two years. So we don't know if Rivera and Renix have a team option or if they're out of contract at the end of the year. So this might have been one of their last 90-minute performances uh, where they could have really shown their stuff. Um, Rivera, as I say, I was a little more impressed with him. Renix, he had a moment in the 40th minute where uh, he had a beautiful first touch, went down into the right corner, had to wait for people to uh, come up because he was all alone. Uh, he beat everyone down there, then beats his man. He beats the left back, dances around him, gets the left back on the ground, driving into the box, low cross, kicked away pretty pretty bad cross to be honest with you um i think that's the justin rennick story where he does a lot of little things right and you kind of see some positives and you're like oh this is decent this is decent but the end result is never there um i think both these guys if they end up in usl in the next few years i think they they're gonna be pretty good they're gonna end up somewhere they're gonna be pretty solid um in terms of do they have a mls starter ceiling I, I don't think so. I think they're bit players in MLS, and I, it, it's tough to say because Rivera and Renix had such high hopes for them so so long ago, but there are younger players with the revolution that are doing it better than they are. Um, I'm not sure where they land in MLS if they move on from the Revs after the season. Teal Forever says, uh, this was a game that desperately missed Nacho and Tommy Mack. Agree 100%. You have Nacho on the wing instead of uh, Justin Rennicks. You have Tommy Mack in the, in the central midfield instead of Jack P. Uh, we might be having a different conversation today. Uh, Teal Forever also says, is this the end of Tico's run in New England? I really want to see him do well, uh, but I am not sure MLS is for him. Kind of touched on that a second ago. I, I agree with that a little bit. Uh, Evan says, glad the 2022 Revs are still kicking on this team. Zero effort, zero skill, zero talent show tonight. Yeah, it was a pretty poor game. This was probably the worst game outside of the LAFC game uh, for sure. And it's really disappointing that you can't see off the Pittsburgh Riverhounds at home. I know, I know it's U.S. Open Cup, but um, just just a rough game. Uh, Paulo says, honestly, I think we lost the game before it started. Open Cup and Gillette on a Tuesday don't mix well. Not enough support. And if fans don't care, neither do players. Maybe it's more about ticket pricing. I don't know, but something is obviously off there. Player body language said it all. Uh, Og said, uh, Penieto was bad, especially finding a final ball. And it's hard to fill, uh, but it's hard to fill Carlos Hill's boots. Uh, both strikers were embarrassing. Yeah. Vrioni, not a lot of people were trashing Vrioni. He had a couple of plays where he lost the ball at his feet. He's still kind of working on his turns. Um, still, still stumbling over a little bit. Um, uh, I, I, not a great game from him. I think if he scored a goal, uh, we're, we're having a different conversation about how he's keeping his hot streak up. Uh, but, um, yeah, a, a little bit let down from Vrioni. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll say it's because of a lack of service or something, but, uh, you know, having a designated player out there against Pittsburgh, you would have hoped he had had a little bit more of an impact, had a nice turn and shoot, uh, in the second half that was saved by the keeper. But, um, outside of that, there's not much that I can remember from Vrioni that I was super in love with. Um, Jack P. Eh. Eh, too bad. I'm, I'm fine with that uh, comment from Og. I, I agree with 100%. Uh, John Stafford says, Wood instead of Altador, this is 2-1. to one. The young guys got some valuable experience. Altador, Edwards, McCoon, Rivera need to be dumped. Omar did fine. They should have had an aerial superiority and exploited it, but instead they ran a normal attack plan. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with all that. Uh, Edwards, I think, did fine, though. I'll disagree with you there. I think as a backup, he's fine. Worth noting that um, Jacob Johnson-Jackson is cleared to return. He's returned to practice. So maybe Edwards is better time as a backup is 
uh, you know, is running out. Maybe Johnson, who they spent a uh, first round draft pick on last year, was a late first round draft pick, but I know they were high about him. So maybe that he's coming back from his torn ACL. Uh, maybe Edwards moves to the number three keeper soon. It'll be interesting to see um, how Jackson's development and rehab goes there. But um, I thought Edwards played fine. Uh, I, I, I don't blame him for the goal at all. I think that was on Bulma. Um, yeah, I, I didn't have any issue with Edwards uh, yesterday, but um, outside of the fancy footwork, which uh, really impressed the commentators. Um, Corey, how can get out of Josie's contract? Got that. Uh, can losing Open Cup force youngers to play uh, Revs 2 to get more minutes? I think Jack P is getting some more Revs 2 time. Uh, Esmir, maybe not, uh, but I think Bulma and Jack P, um, we're, we're going to be seeing a lot of development in Revs 2 minutes from them, uh, especially with Bulma. I think he's very raw with right back. I think he's pretty athletic. I think he, he has a future um, on the team somewhere, uh, but um, if it's at right back, he, he needs to develop more a lot there. Um, Corey also says McCoon on the ball is petrifying. I agree 100%. Porter says, uh, pray for Omni by Jones. Uh, Josie played a full 90 minutes with no shots on target. Uh, would you agree his career is over? Uh, and can he be bought out? We touched on that a little bit. Uh, and he also says, who is a worse player for the Revs? Ben Sweat or Houche? Boy, I love a good Houche reference. Uh, nothing will ever top Houche. Uh, just because from the minute that, that, uh, that contract was signed and we found out that he was, uh, he scored zero goals in his career uh, and he was being sold uh, to the uh, revs fans as a goal scorer. Um, that was a tough look. That was a tough look. He scored since good for him. But um, yeah, I think the how yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Uh, Porter also says, do the revs have a shot at champions league next year? This is a good answer. We're going to end on a positive note here. Uh, actually. Yes. Yes, they do. And I don't think a lot of people know this cause I didn't know this, uh, but uh, the, Champions League is expanding for 2024. There's 23 slots. You're going to have six teams from the U.S., so probably MLS, uh, get a bid. Uh, MLS Cup champs, U.S. Open Cup champs, Supporters Shield winner, the conference regular season champ. So whichever conference doesn't win the uh, Supporters Shield, they're getting a bid. And then the two next best clubs in the Supporters Shield standings. And so, and maybe there's a little bit of overlap there. So it's it's possible you finish seventh in the supporter shield standings and end up with a bid. So the revs right now are first, obviously there's a long time between now and then, but e even if the revs just have a solid regular season and truth be told, I, I don't know if I've gone on this rant yet. East is pretty weak. I'm not really impressed with this East Eastern conference this year. Um, two coaches fired out of the East this year. It might be some more Bob Bradley's having a tough time figuring out Toronto. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of big question marks around the Eastern conference right now. And, if they're going to be able, if, if there's a handful of teams not getting it together, um, if the Revs are able to just kind of hold steady and finish with a one or two seed in the Eastern Conference, that could be all they need for Champions League. So um, I'm, I'm right now I'm positive, but again, Dylan Barrero's out. A lot of question marks at the top of that roster. You know, let let's see, let's see. In fact, let's just win MLS Cup. Uh, that's an easier, easier way to qualify. Um, cursed Revs, should we blame this result on Greg as he hoped? for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. You know, you can blame me if you want. You can blame me. But truth be told, you'd rather have the USL team than the two MLS teams. So I will take the podcaster's jinx here. Uh, but I, I think you should be rooting for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds uh, and the USL side, just like how you, sh if you were a hockey team, you should be rooting for the jobber franchise that is the Florida Panthers and their Trixie Yogurt colors because you should be beating the Florida Panthers. You should be beating the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. You should be beating the Florida Panthers. 
Uh, oh, one more question here. I missed it. What are the members of the Omar Gonzalez Memorial Hall of Shame? I thought Omar played decent yesterday. I think people, hey, he's he's coming back a little bit. He hasn't had a really, really terrible error this year. Uh, but uh, let's say, so what is this? High-priced central defenders that uh, didn't really work out. That's Omar Gonzalez. That is Michael Mancien. That is Claude Dielna. Um, if we're including, if we're including outside backs, we've got to include Gabriel Somi in there. Um, I'll need, I'll need to consult Sean cause he will give me all the MLS 1.0 players that I missed, uh, before I was watching the revs week in and week out, but I I'll give that as my inaugural class. So thank you everyone who sent in listener questions for the mailbag. I know this went on a little bit long. Sorry about that, but um, appreciate uh, you guys sending in questions so we could get in this midweek podcast. And before I go, I know you guys know this. I know you guys know this, but I want to tell you about our friends at Colosso Kits, jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more. Something for your closet. Go right now, ColossoKits.com. Go follow them on Twitter and on Instagram at Colosso Kits and save 15% off your order when you use promo code REVSRECAP. I know you do that already. I know you've used promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% off your order at ColossoKits.com. But... Just in case you haven't already, you should do that. And also, thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed lately. Thank you to getting us to 100 reviews on iTunes. I know Sean thanked you in last week's episode, but I wanted to send a thank you as well. Now on to our next journey. Get us to 100 reviews on Spotify. Please, please, please. Uh, and now, now that we've done all that, now that we've gotten the unpleasantness of the Pittsburgh Riverhounds cup set out of the way, let's get to Sam Minton's interview with Jake Zivin of Apple TV. So, yeah, Jake, uh, you know, when it comes to the Revolution so far, just overall, what are your impressions of their season? And did you expect them to have such a good start? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's been a great season, right? It's been a great start for New England. Um, did, I, did I expect it? That's an interesting question. I mean, um, certainly expected a bounce back from last year. Uh, do you expect them to, to be on the pace that they're on? I don't know that you'd expect any team to have as good of a start as, as the Revolution have had. Uh, you know, over two points per game is, is very, very good for, for any team in MLS. So, you know, would I have predicted that per se? No, but uh, um, on the other hand, you know, not surprised that, that it's been a rebound year um, for New England and, and for Bruce Arena, who obviously uh, knows better than anybody how to win and how, how to have success in this league. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so uh, you know, they're... I think exceeding expectations, but on the other hand, um, you know, not necessarily surprising that that they're back, um, you know, closer obviously to, to 2021 than to 2022. Yeah, and you know, this off season we saw some acquisitions which have really you know bolstered the lineup. A lot of the reliance was on a guy like Carlos Heel, who obviously is continuing to play well. You know, a former MVP. So I know obviously a player like Carlos Heel stands out on this roster. But in terms of players who perform well, has there been anyone else who's kind of impressed you so far this season? Yeah, I think for me, what, what's most impressive about New England this year is you mentioned Carlos Hill and you know what he's going to bring. Um, but there was a thought that Adam Buxa was so important that him leaving was the difference between 2021 and 2022. Taylor... Twelman and I did the, the game in Orlando in the preseason. That's the only New England game we've called this year. And it was kind of a rehearsal game for all of us in MLS season pass and Apple TV. Um, and it was a good chance to, to see New England at that time. And I remember you know, we, we talked about on the broadcast about how important uh, was that in Buxa? And was that really 
the difference. And so for me, um, their ability to find this success without, obviously, Buxa and without a true, you know, DP replacement because it, you know, hasn't really been Frioni, right? He's contributed uh, at times, but it's not like he's been, uh, you know, the player that, that Buxa was. Um, has been impressive. Uh, Bobby Wood, I think, is seeming to, to kind of be a little bit resurgent um, in New England. He was okay, uh, I thought, for uh, Real Salt Lake over the past couple of years. Um, dealt with injuries, missed most of last season uh, with an injury. And so he never really kicked on um, in Salt Lake. But, you know, Bruce, uh, somebody he knows really well, goes and gets him in the offseason. And, uh, you know, it seems like he's he's kind of helped, right, plug that plug-in in in the number nine position. Um, they've, they've just been, been solid everywhere. And uh, it's New England. I think, for me, the, the star man um, is... is Petrovic, it's Georgia. Uh, he's the best goalkeeper in the league. Andre Blake might have something to say about that, but I think last year it was Andre Blake. I think this year so far it's it's Petrovic. The, the advanced numbers say that. The eye test says it. Uh, and what a difference he makes, but it, it's not just him, right? But I think everybody has performed very well. And um, again, impressive that they've done it without, I think, a top level designated player, number nine production that, that they had with that person. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Adam Buxa and your and your colleague Taylor Twelman. You know, had some reports that some MLS teams are looking and kind of sniffing around him and seeing if he would make a return. So I'd love to get your impression if you do think we see Adam Buxa in MLS uh, this season, and if so, do you think it's in New England or do you think he might go to a different team? Man, and Taylor, I trust. I'll say that uh, <laughs> he, he's got the sources. He's got the insight. I certainly don't. I'll leave that sort of reporting to to Taylor, but. If Taylor says it, I believe it. So, uh, you know, whether it's New England or not, it, it seems like a possibility. I'll, I'll, when, well, when I have, have dinner with him on Friday nights uh, in New York, uh, I'll see if I can get, get a little bit more, dig a little bit more into that. Hey, if he's coming back to New England, Taylor will know, I think, right? So, yeah, for uh, sure, for sure. And, you know, also, too, you know, you just recently called Miami's game. New England is going yeah. to be up. Uh, going up against Miami. So overall, in that game against Atlanta, I know obviously the ret- uh, the return per se of Joseph Martinez going up. Joseph Martinez going up against Atlanta United. Uh, that's a big story. But what stood out about their play in that game? Yeah, that was that was the main storyline, right? No doubt about it. Um, and it was everything that the neutral would want, everything that the script writers would want with Joseph playing Atlanta for the first time and having not scored yet in Miami, coming into the game as a sub. I mean, he essentially has been benched you know, a few weeks ago and scoring both goals, won a penalty 30 seconds after he comes in, like, all right, you know, that's just kind of great fortune. Uh, and then to, to score a really nice goal to, to make it 2-0. Um, everything you could have wanted. That, that overwhelmed that game. Um, Miami is is in an interesting place. They obviously are still dealing with salary cap restrictions with roster building restrictions and they've suffered two long-term really serious injuries in their midfield in Gregory and Jean Mata who will be out for both of them it seems like four to six months possibly could be the rest of the season for for both those guys were so important in the midfield um, and because of their salary cap restrictions they don't really have an ability to have a ton of depth on the team. What they do have are some young homegrowns 
that they're putting a lot on right now. Uh, David Ruiz got the start in the midfield next to Dixon Arroyo, who's a, a signing, a kind of a reactionary signing, it seemed, to Gregory's injury earlier in the year. Uh, and then Benjamin Kramaski has been playing at the number 10 because they've also benched Rodolfo Pizarro, who, who hasn't worked out as a designated player. And you've got an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old from Miami or from South Florida that are now playing super important roles for Inter-Miami. And they don't look out of place. They look up for it. Phil Neville was, um, you know, uh, overwhelming in his praise for both of them and his expectations for both of them. Albeit, you know, saying, hey, look, they're, they're young. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be up and downs. But these guys don't play with fear. They're ready for it. Um, they're, they're ready for this moment. And what an opportunity it is for them. Um, but they are young and, and they're very inexperienced. So, you know, I think Miami is a, is a roster that is relatively thin because of the roster restrictions. But, um, you know, have, have, have figured it out and, and over the past couple of weeks, at least, right? And it's been an up-and-down season. They win their first two. They lose six. Now they've won two in a row. Whether or not there's pressure on Phil Neville, you know, that, that's for other people to talk about. Uh, there's this messy thing hanging over their head. And, and I do think if that, when that gets resolved, which it will right over the next month or so, we're going to figure out where Messi is going to play next year. That will, will lift something off of Miami. If it's that he's coming to Miami, then wonderful. And the excitement just ramps up. But if it's that he's, you know, going back to Barcelona or Saudi Arabia or whatever it is, um, at least it kind of takes that storyline off of their plate for the rest of the season and they can, they can go on as a team. But um, they were impressive against Atlanta. Atlanta wasn't great, to, to be fair. Um, but it, it, it's been impressive, I think, how Miami's kind of righted the ship, so to speak. Uh, the past couple of weeks, and I think New England's going to see a team uh, that's hardworking, uh, that's industrious, that's pre-organized, um, and that will do their best at the least to to make it difficult um, for New England. And uh, yeah, but man, it's a, it's also a different level, I think, opponent for them for since uh, for for Miami now seeing New England then an Atlanta team uh, without Yorgos Yakamakis that that wasn't great uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the young players that Miami are trotting out, and obviously in New England, you have the likes of Noel Buck, Jack yeah. Peniotu, uh, yeah. Esmir Baraktarovic. Overall, what has been your impression of their play so far, especially at a, such a young age? Very impressive, right? Very impressive at a young age, and, and we saw them, I'll go back to what well, we saw them in person, um, you know, which I, I always think you see something a little bit different even than, than when you're just watching a game, you know, over, over Apple TV. Um, we saw them in Orlando. They looked the part, right? All, all three, uh, you know, I, I thought played well. Uh, Taylor loves them, right? As uh, as, a, as a revolution legend, and, and so he was he was bigging bigging them up. But um, it's really not easy to to play at this level um, at that young age, and uh, it seems like the Revolution has something special um, in that group in that trio. And and Bruce is trusting them, right? I mean, Bruce is is giving them important minutes, um, you know, for, for Buck, starting pretty much every game, um, and, and and even for for the other two, right, still playing in important minutes. And that's impressive. And I think that's kind of the next, for a lot of clubs in MLS, that's kind of like the next step, right, is bringing these young homegrowns through the academy and having them be real contributors on the first team. It's one thing to sign a bunch of homegrowns, right, any team can do that, so to speak. It's another to have these homegrowns contribute and and help to a winning team, to a team that is, you know, on on a record pace right now. Um, obviously, it's it's early, but that, that is a top a top of the league 
um, and, and on such a good pace. So very impressive from, from New England, from the whole organization. And, and it, it speaks a lot. And it's, I think it's, again, it's the goal of, of every club in the league is to be able to produce players um, like the Revolution clearly have in, in this trio of teenagers that can help them win and then really contribute in MLS. Yeah, and, you know, it, it kind of seemed like a cliche question uh, per se, but, you know, after kind of getting to see Miami, what do you think will be a key for the Revs if they want to uh, leave Miami with three points? Yeah, I think probably to be, be patient. Um, Miami team that we saw against uh, Atlanta was was very patient. Um, I think they were careful. I think they were calculated. It, it wasn't a very good first half because of that. Um Atlanta maybe was too, uh, and then Gonzalo Pineda has talked to us a couple times this year about being maybe too impatient and, and aggressive and going forward and wanting just kind of score right away. And then you kind of just end up giving the ball back a lot of times. And the Miami would get the ball and, and they didn't have a ton of urgency. And they were, again, kind of very methodical and calculated. And, and it worked. They scoreless as to half and it wasn't great. Uh, Joseph came on, and, and that that changed things. I think they got the goal, and a goal will change things. A goal will always will always change the game. So I think for for New England, um, you know, it is to to be patient. Um, uh, know that Miami is is probably going to try to to slow the game down, make it make it more of a slog, and um, you know, is to not not uh, yeah again not not fall into some of the traps that that you can if, if there's frustration. Um, I, you know, I certainly don't expect the open cup loss to, to affect New England much. Um, I don't know if the weather is going to be like down in Fort Lauderdale this weekend. That can always be a factor if it's really hot and really humid. And, and that's kind of where, again, kind of the slower pace comes into play a little bit in, in some games that, down there in Miami. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I would say that ready for a team that kind of knows who they are at this point, especially, um, and is, and is going to try to play methodically. And, and then Joseph, right? I mean, if I'm any opponent in the East, any Miami opponent, my kind of big worry, so to speak, right now is does that game against Atlanta just just kick Joseph off to returning to Joseph Martinez that was a terror in this league and dominated this league for so many years in Atlanta? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's something that can happen. But it certainly could happen in bursts. And I wouldn't want to be the team. Yeah, Joseph played in the Open Cup. Uh, but I wouldn't want to be the team that, that sees him next, so to speak, in, in MLS play. And, and that's what New England's going to be. Um, so that, that intrigues me, I think, with Miami more than anything is, is was that a blip from Joseph playing against his old team and everything around it and stepping up to that moment? Or does that signal, uh, you know, a return to form for, for Joseph Martinez that can go on in the short, maybe mid and maybe even long term this season? Yeah. And, you know, obviously we talked about the start that the Reds have gotten off to and, you know, the Eastern Conference is pretty tough. You get a team like FC Cincinnati kind of fighting at the top with them. So what do you think the ceiling for this Revs team is? You know, do you think that they can w- go out and possibly win an MLS Cup? Why not, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but don't, I, sure, don't you? They're, look, they're, what a start to the season uh, for them. The, the injury to Dylan Barrero hurts. There's no doubt about that. Um, but when you have a player like Carlos Hill, who is at the level of, you know, at the top level of any player in this league, what, a year removed from, from being the MVP. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think in this league you need special players. Uh, and if you look back at who has won MLS Cup, you just kind of go year by year. There are teams with special players, with designated players 
that really perform well. But New England has that in, in Carlos Hill. Do they need guy? I don't know. You would say, like, beginning of the year, you would say, yeah, they need, you know, a, a DP number nine. Maybe that's a Vrioni. Maybe it's Bobby Wood, whatever. They need a guy who can score 15-plus goals in this league. You would have said that two months ago, but I don't know. You say that now, they're on a record pace right now. So, no, I don't think it's valid to say that. Um, keeping Georgia Petrovic, right? I mean, that's something that if, if they get an offer they can't refuse in the summer for Georgia Petrovic, and you see what they got from Matt Turner, and you see how Georgia Petrovic is playing, uh, is it unreasonable to think they can't get more for him? And if that offer comes in the summer, can you pass that up? I don't know. That, that would make a big difference, uh, of course, as well, right? But as constructed now, yeah, of course this team can, can compete for, for an MLS Cup. I mean, we're almost a third of the way through the season. So it's not like this is four games in and they've won their first four. Uh, I think it's beyond time to say that New England is legit and New England's a, a big contender for, for MLS Cup. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Matt Turner and George A. Petrich, and especially up here in New England, a lot of the discussion is kind of, you know, projecting, you know, who do you think's better, Matt Turner or George A. Petrovich? So, you know, you already said, you already said Andre Blake, uh, you know, that Petrovich has the edge this year. You know, do you think that yep. Petrovich is going to be a better goalkeeper than Matt Turner or already is? Man, I, honestly, I, I think it's, I think possibly, yes, it is. A, it, it's a wonderful debate. And there's certainly recent, there's a couple biases here, right? There's American bias. <laughs> and we all, you know, Matt Turner is starting goalkeeper at the World Cup. So, like, we all want, you know, to, to be behind Matt Turner in that way. And then there's recency bias. And we're seeing George A. Petrovich do it week to week, now for over a calendar year, about a calendar year, in MLS play. He's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Absolutely spectacular. I mean, and you saw it from the moment he came in. And it was, for me, my thought was, you know, a month into Petrovich, it's like, wait, did they really find a goalkeeper like just as good as Matt Turner, just like that? Or is this just kind of small sample size? Okay, he made some great saves. You know, goalkeeper, some goalkeepers will, will make great saves, right? Um, any goalkeeper has the ability to do that, you'd say. But now seeing him do it consistently, spectacularly for a year, and, and again, it's the advanced numbers show it as well. The expected goals on target conceded versus actual expected actual goals conceded. Um, spectacular. It's remarkable. So I think it's a, it is a legitimate argument that he is better. Um, I think it's, it's certainly possible that he is better. And it's remarkable to me that New England was able to, uh, to replace Matt Turner in such a, such a uh, kind of overwhelmingly positive way. I, I remember sitting down with Bruce, uh, Bruce Arena before the season, before that Orlando game in Orlando in their hotel before the preseason game and asked him about Georgie Petrovich. And he said it was the fastest he's ever been convinced by a player, just watching him on tape. So he was recommended to him. He watched him for three minutes and was like, we need to sign this guy. And I mean, like Bruce's eye was the spot on in that moment, right? I mean, it's improved right in, in every way. And uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And if they end up selling uh, Petrovich, let's see who, who follows that up. Cause you know, <laughs> Bet on that guy to be goalkeeper of the year in like two years, right? Because uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable that anyone was able to do what they've done. Yeah, you know, definitely will be pretty big shoes to feel to fill. But kind of wrapping up, you know, you are Taylor Twelman's, uh, you know, man in the uh, co-man in the booth. So overall, I have to. I'm going to give you some a little bit of rapid fire on Taylor. Uh, just <laughs> okay. overall, how is it like to work Uh-oh. with him? 
And also, you know, obviously he has St. Louis ties. You know, is he kind of, you know, put the revs to the side a bit? Or is he still pounding you with, uh, you know, revs love? And also, too, you know, just getting to, you know, travel with him across MLS. Uh, you know, you have any funny stories so far uh, this season? <laughs> uh, Taylor's been great. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, awesome. A great person to work with on and off camera. Uh, we've had a great time traveling across the country together already. We've only done like 10, 11 games together. It feels like more than that at this point. I've been so impressed with his, um, not just his on-camera you know, build like on microphone ability from a commentator, which we all knew, we all saw on ESPN for a decade plus. But his TV kind of acumen and his, how he's always thinking about how everything can be better for for everybody, right? not just about himself in any way, but about the whole production and how we can make a better production um, for for our viewers. And he, he's spot on. He has a great mind for TV. Um, and, and he is so locked in on it and cares so much about it. So Taylor's been an awesome broadcast partner. Uh, has he put aside the revolution? Man, I, I don't know. I, I think so. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to bring that up this week. We're doing. We're not doing the revolution this week. Obviously, we're doing them in a couple weeks, and that's where we really gotta gotta pound it in because he is all about St. Louis City, isn't he? He is, ad, he is openly advocating for St. Louis City. We don't see that as much with the Reds. So if I'm a Revolution supporter, I might be like Taylor. Like, come on, man, what's going on? You scored 100 goals for us. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what he thinks about that. And, uh, you know, funny stories. Uh, he has told a lot of funny stories <laughs> uh, of his time in the league. And wonderful stories about those fantastic uh, mid-2000s, early 2000s New England Revolution teams. Not my stories to share. His to share. One day, hopefully, there will be a documentary or a little, you know, a little series, maybe even just a podcast series on the kind of 2002 to whatever, 2010 New England Revolution. Uh, and Taylor can get all those stories out there. But, uh, yeah, what, what a crew those guys were on and off the field. And, uh, and Taylor's been great. Taylor's been great. So I do agree. Hey, if I'm a Revolution supporter, like, you know, hold him to the fire a little bit about on his uh, revolution supporter, St. Louis City support, because I do kind of feel like he's, uh, he's a little bit leaning St. Louis these days. And, you know, I'm actually I'm going to have to put you on the spot for one more question. Who is going to go down as the better revolution player, Carlos Heal or Taylor Twelman? <laughs> Carlos Heal, by far. Not even close. Yeah. Quote me on that. <laughs> tweet, tweet, tweet it, Taylor. Tell him I said that. <laughs>